0: 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nation's true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. You are listening to Tuesday Breakfast with Ayan, Hope, Ruby, Lauren and am I missing anyone else? Oh, George. Oh my god. <laughs> How could I forget? Jo- my <laughs> and, my, that's it. She's looking straight at my face like, "Don't forget me." <laughs> so, how's everyone doing?
1: Good. Very well. Yes. You're a bit sleepy.
0: I know what you mean. And the weather is so beautiful as well. Mm. True. So I'm really excited to start the day.
2: 34 today.
0: Is that? Okay. finally
2: summer's come. Mm. Been waiting yeah. and waiting. Last Broken. week when we were here, it was it was I think 14
0: or 15, so <laughs> Only in Melbourne is, is yeah. the weather. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Mm.
3: Yeah. So George, would you like to hit us with some news?
1: Yes, news of the week. So in Manus, over 400 refugees and asylum seekers continued their plight without electricity, running water, regular food supplies or medicine. It's been now over 13 days. The UN has described the situation as a humanitarian emergency, urging PNG and Australia to end this unconscionable human suffering. PNG have not used force against the men but have destroyed shelters and removed bins that were used to contain drinking water. More than 100 men have voluntarily left the centre. Some have tried to return but have been denied. And the legal challenge to have the PNG government restore services at the camp was unsuccessful. However, there will be an appeal in the Supreme Court. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern condemns the situation as unacceptable. The Paradise Papers are documents acquired by the German newspaper last uh, Sorry, can't nice say that properly. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were acquired last week, and they also acquired the Panama Papers in 2016. Through offshore law firm Appleby, the 13.4 million leaked documents show how politicians, multinationals and celebrities are using offshore finance to avoid tax... Bust international sanctions and hide compromising financial relationships. Companies and people exposed in the leaks include Twitter and Facebook, the Queen, Trump, Trump's cabinet members, advisors and donors. Sorry, Oxford and Cambridge. Harvey Weinstein, Mm. Mm. and the list goes on. Mm. He's having a rough year, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Well (laughs) deserved. Yes. The news in intersectional feminism Democrat Danica Rome has become the first trans person to be elected to a state legislature, winning 54% of the vote in her district in Virginia. Woohoo! Yes. Just have to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Beating 73 year old incumbent Bob Marshall, who has been in office for 25 years. Marshall is a queer and transphobic man. He was self Ti- he self-titled hims- he called himself chief homophobe mm. yeah he wanted to restrict trans people's access to mm. public bathrooms with that and what a build. good ironic well
2: I don't guess you call that irony but what a nice twist in that yep. story yeah. Yeah. yes, yes. <laughs>
1: totally heat that up in mm. September Rome was quoted in cosmopolitan.com I thought this was quite interesting. She said, The message that I can succeed because of my gender, not despite it, because of who I am without being afraid of who I am, is a human message. It's something that even if you're cisgender, but you have some reason that you have been singled out in your life, you have some reason that you've been stigmatized in your life, you've had some reason where you've been concerned in your life for being yourself, you can look at me and say, if she can do this, so can I. Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. else have we got, Lauren? Beautiful.
3: Um... Yeah, not such great news as that, Um, but I guess interesting, um, I was reading the New York Times yesterday, and 21 men after Harvey Weinstein have now been accused of sexual harassment or misconduct, so it's high profile, mostly in Hollywood, but um, famous people, Um, and that's only in a couple of weeks, and there's been... um, and being too much in Hollywood against sexual harassment, mm. um, and it 's just this wave that seems to be never ending mm. so there's some interesting commentary around it on Twitter and that sort of thing um, women who hmm. um, sorry women who um, who are inspired to come out, obviously because of people talking about this sort of thing, and people sort of wondering if perhaps. I guess perhaps if women um, are starting to be less afraid of men. So, like, wondering if this is a bit of the turning of the tide and if there's a bit of enough of a groundswell that perhaps um, patriarchy is starting to be on the wane. I know it's <laughs> a little bit too hopeful, but I yeah, um, thought it was a nice take mm, on it.
1: And more women and people might come forward in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and just,
3: yeah. And just feeling like they can... Um, and I should just also mention that if, um, if this has raised anything for you, please call 1-800-RESPECT or the CASA hotline on 1-800-568-292. Um, and, yeah, take
4: mm. care of yourself. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, thanks for that, girls. Um,
0: well, is girls an appropriate term? I'm cool with it. Yeah, you're cool with that? Okay. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's cool. <laughs> that's I don't well want to make a blue for online.
2: <laughs> um, I also wanted to just flag yeah. I'm sure that all of our listeners know already as well, yeah. but that the results of the postal um, plebiscite will be mm-hmm. coming out tomorrow. Yeah. So just a, just a yeah. flag, and I guess, you know, I feel a little bit nervous but yeah maybe maybe get some friends together as Mm. you guys are yeah to to you know be in support together in solidarity in a in this time
0: yeah that's amazing thanks for letting us know and i'll definitely be looking out and sharing um hopefully assuming that the results would be positive because i guess um yeah we do need good news as, Mm -hmm. as well um Okay, so now we're going to hear about the Eight Days of Solidarity campaign.
4: So we're here with a ex-long-term detained refugee. We're just going to ask a few questions about the Eight Days of Solidarity campaign. So what is the campaign about?
5: Some refugees come by boat uh, to Australia. They're still locked up nearly eight years in Australian detention centre. So we're going to talk about them with the people. So, it's a good chance to tell about them in our city, locked up, long term detained people.
4: And I guess people have been locked up for four years, three years, eight years, so it's about everyone.
5: Yeah, it's a, normally uh, in a Melbourne Detention Centre, more than eight years, some other fronts are locked up, nearly three years, four years, five years. A lot of people locked up, that's many years they're locked up. We're going to talk about them.
4: And what is the situation for people who have been in detention for a long time?
5: So their lifestyle, they're saying, just wake up, uh, that's it we did today. 24 hours they are doing just wake up only. Physically or mentally they don't have any mood to do anything. And also the environment also giving very strict and stressful life for them. Example, we can't wait... uh, in the traffic light two seconds so we are making deep breath or making some uh, stressful actions we show up uh, at the few seconds think about them last eight years same place same situation same meal same environment everything so think about this time how is horrible the situation they they're having
4: and so when they're staying in the detention center what restrictions are there
5: the, everything are limited and strict facilities they have inside of detention Even they can't keep much um, things with them. Most of things are banned to use. Uh, they can't keep it with them also. So even they can't use any mobile phone or any pen and paper also. We, they can't use themselves in privacy.
4: So for people who are locked up in detention, how can people support them?
5: Uh, talk about them with uh, your friends, your local politician, and we can give some encouraging, or hopeful words with them.
4: So the best place to get current information about visiting people in detention would be eight eightdaysofsolidarityforrefugees.wordpress.com.
5: Yes, that's right. And also the one of Facebook page could uh, helpful uh, Friends of MITRE so they have a lot of information
4: about visitings
5: yes that's right
4: so that would be Friends of MITA M-I-T-A
5: yes uh, that's right that's a current update
4: and just so people know MITRE is uh, the detention center in Broadmeadows in Melbourne okay well thank you for being with us today
5: thank you thank you for having me
1: You are invited to Sampari Exhibition, celebrating West Papuan culture. Sampari, a series of events supporting the West Papuan people's goal for self-determination. Art, discussion, spoken word performance, debate and Melanesian food and culture. Friday, 8th December at 6pm till Sunday, 17th December. ACU Gallery, 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Go to Sampari Exhibition Facebook or DFAIT West Papua website. Sampari, brought to you by Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office, a 3CR supporter.
3: Welcome back. You are on 3CR's Tuesday Breakfast, your weekly dose of intersectional feminism and fabulosity. Uh, we're about to go to a song now, and it's by Sampa the Great. Love this track. It's called Black Girl Magic. And just a little language warning for this one, if you've got babies in the car, I don't know, put some cotton wool in ears. it's worth a listen.
0: And you are listening to Tuesday Breakfast with myself, Ayan, Ruby, Hope, Lauren, and George. Oh my god, George, I almost did it to you again. I am trash. So you were just listening to Sampa, Black Girl Magic. Sampa is an amazing rapper. Um, uh, she has come back from tour, actually. And she, um, just a little plug, she is a friend. And so, yeah, even though I'm not biased, she's amazing. Um, she is amazing, and I've never met her. Yeah, oh, she's just incredible with her craft, and, and it's good to see that she's getting so much recognition internationally. Even though she gets recognition nationally, um, uh, it's really hard to make it as a female rapper as well as a female black rapper in Australia. So the odds are set against her, but she's killing the game, which is good to see. And um, what's happening... Around Melbourne, because uh,
1: Georgie. Ah, so there is a punk hardcore fundraising gig at the Footscray Hotel on Friday, the 17th of November. Proceeds will go to the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre to help with the Manus Island crisis. The lineup includes Force of Will, Enzyme. Judas Wolf and Dove. It's going to be great. Everybody should come. I'm definitely going to be there. You going?
3: Yeah, they're my friends.
1: Oh really? Oh, yeah. another oh. plug. Look at us. I know. <laughs> You've got friends in high <laughs> places. <laughs> I <laughs> love it. <laughs> so we just showed a cl- uh, we had a clip before of the eight days of solidarity with refugees. Uh, so there is going to be an event this Saturday, which will be an eight-kilometer solidarity walk starting in Coburg. Coburg, sorry, to support long-term refugees in detention. A public meeting will be held on Saturday, November the 18th, celebrating and discussing the 100th anniversary of the October Revolution in Russia. Mm-hmm. There will be a lunch at 12.30, uh, sorry, lunch at 12.30 and meeting from 1pm at the Resistance Centre on Swanston Street. Monday the 23rd, 20th of November marks the International Transgender Day of Remembrance, commemorating trans and gender diverse people who are murdered each year because of transphobic hate. Despite having fewer murders of trans people in Australia, they still experience high levels of suicide and mental illness due to transphobia. Transgender Victoria is organising an event on the 20th at the Buronga nagangin Library on St. George's Road, North Fitzroy from 7 to 10. And you can see Facebook for more details for that event. Know your rights. Woo! Yes. Yarra Library and Fitzroy Legal Service present Know Your Rights, a series of legal information sessions. What are your options when you receive a fine? Can they be challenged? In this practical session, the experts from Fitzroy Legal Service talk about fines and how to deal with them. Bookings are essential, and the sessions will be held from 6.30 to to 7.30 on Wednesday, the 29th of November. Melbourne, through the eyes of a friend. An event is being held to celebrate the International Day of Disability on the 29th of November from 11 to 1 p.m. at Russ House. The event will include the launch of a photographic exhibition, the launch of the film From Invisibility to Inclusion, and the song Melbourne Through the Eyes of a Friend. And you can RSVP to that at the email sallysaru at hotmail.com. Music and Activism. Thursday, the 30th of November, there will be a Plan to Thrive workshop presented by musician Miranda Hill, all about ways to bring music to activism. It will be held from 6.30 to 8pm at Friends of the Earth on Smith Street. The book Home is, Where the, Home is Where the Art Is will be launched on Friday, the 1st of December at the Athenaeum Library on Collins Street. There will also be an exhibition featuring the stories of women who have experienced isolation and homelessness, combining visual art and writing. You can RSV on Eventbrite, and we will put the link on our Tuesday Brekkie Facebook page for that one. And lastly, the new International Bookshop is hosting a panel discussion called Can We Bring Them Here? and Prevent Deaths at Sea? Possibilities for a Humane po- refuge, Refugee Policy on Tuesday the 5th of December from 7pm at Trades Hall. Speakers will include Tony Ward, Julian Burnside, Lucy Honan, and Michelle O'Neill. We will provide a link on our Facebook page as well. So all of these events will put up on Facebook so you can book Mm -hmm. tickets and get more info. Mm.
3: That's
1: great. Thanks, George.
2: Yeah, George, you are extremely (laughs) up-to-date. I would say
0: pretty much the most
2: up-to-date person in Melbourne.
3: (laughs) How do you do it? How
0: do you find all um, all these amazing gigs? What are your sources? You You want to know
1: my secrets? If you happy to name oh, wow. them,
0: <laughs> if you're gonna be like that, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. well, there's, there's, if you actually take notice of all the posters around in Melbourne, it's mm. like there's just so much going on. Mm. But also through CR, we get all those emails, so that's also useful. That's that's true. True. So it's a combination of <laughs> things. Facebook as well. Facebook
0: is an amazing place mm-hmm. um, for that for events. I don't know for anything else. Um, I also just wanted to let you know that
2: yeah. <clears throat> we're listening to Graduate by Ocean, which is what you're hearing um, beneath us right now. Pretty smooth tunes.
0: Very. Cool. I'm going to definitely Basically. put it on my Spotify.
6: <laughs> G'day. My name's Nick Wallace from Encyclopedia. 2 p.m. every Sunday on 3CR. The EGA 2017 Psychedelic Symposium will bring together a diverse range of experts and perspectives from across the world to discuss psychedelics, entheogenic plants and the broader issues around how society relates to altered states and the plants, fungi and substances that bring them about. We'll be broadcasting live from the Symposium in Eildon, with a panel discussion looking into some of the broad implications of modern drug policy alongside a growing body of knowledge about the effects and uses of psychedelics and other drugs. In Psychedelia. Live from the EGA Psychedelic Symposium, Sunday the 10th of December from 2pm. For more info, visit entheo.net.
0: And if you're tuning in, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on your 8.55am dial. Um, You are listening to Ayan, Ruby, George, Lauren, Hope, I feel like that's a mouthful. There's so many of us, which is amazing. I guess that's why we're able to produce such engaging content, (laughs) if you know what I mean. Um, Speaking of engaging, right now we're going to be playing a song by uh, Queen Latifah, um, one of the the OGs of the um, rap games. I don't want to say, I'm not going to limit her to female, she's just an amazing rapper full stop and this is one of her old classics and it's called unity u-n-i-t-y um and content warning there is a few you know um uh expletives but you know it's it's worth it because the song is all about female empowerment And that was the um, amazing Queen Latifah with U-N-I-T-Y.
1: news dear listener it's that time of year we once again are selling two delicious wines generously donated by local winemaking star and 3cr supporter luke lambert at 17.50 these wines are a super bargain labeled especially for us and they're even cheaper by the dozen or half dozen perfect as a gift or to fill a raised glass to toast 3cr at those summer festivities Give us a call on 9419 8377 to order. Or you can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Wines are available for collection from 3CR up until December 22. Ain't no mountain high enough to keep me from them.
2: The Solidarity and Defence Fund is a democratically controlled fund that materially supports activists who are facing legal sanctions or other problems due to their stand against injustice and oppression. All contributors who pledge at least $5 a month can take part in collectively making decisions about how the fund is used. Your contributions support and grow movements for social justice and defend activists in the fight for a better world. For more information or to join, go to patreon.com forward slash solidarity. Defence Fund. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Solidarity Defence
0: Fund. A 3CR supporter.
5: Palestine National Day is being celebrated on November the 15th. 5 p.m. at Federation Square. Join us as we raise the Palestinian flag. Hear Palestinian youth sing the Palestinian National Anthem. Palestinian Band 48 will perform traditional and resistance music. Join our dance and dub key crew and enjoy Palestinian food and culture in this family event. See you there. Palestine National Day, November 15th, 5 p.m. at Federation Square. Be there. 3CR supporter.
2: So we're about to speak to Tony Briffer, who is a former mayor, deputy mayor and councillor of the city of Hobson's Bay and co-executive director of Intersex International Australia. Welcome to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, Tony. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks,
7: Ruby, and excuse my bit
2: of a cold that I've got this morning. No problems. I hope you you feel better soon. Um, Thank you. So first, I wanted to ask, um, what does the what does the term intersex mean? Um, intersex is
7: when a person is born with sex characteristics that are outside the typical medical norms of what a male is or what a female is. So it could be someone born with uh, forty-seven double chromosomes. It could be a girl that's born with internal testes instead of instead of ovaries. There's lots of different variations. Um, constitute intersex, but intersex primarily, um, importantly, is a biological variation. It's different to transgender.
2: Okay, right. And and what um, percentage of the population is intersex?
7: About one point seven percent. So if you can imagine, you know, group out of group of one hundred people, about two people in that group will mm-hmm. be. Intersects. so it's about as common as redheads
2: right okay that's interesting we all love that's redheads. a good analogy we do we all love redheads i certainly oh, do I three redheads. of my best friends are redheads so <laughs> <laughs> um tony i was wondering are you able to just come a little bit closer to the to the phone or if you're on um, um
7: i'll i'll try i'm pretty close to the side i'm on, I'm on my on mobile my,
2: my oh great i think that sounds better um okay. Thanks for that. And also, can you just tell us? Um, this is, I guess, quite a quite a big question. But how do binary ideas um, about gender impact the um, intersex community?
7: Yeah, I guess for us, it's about binary ideas of sex. Um, so, when I mean the very first question that a parent asks when a child is born is usually, is it a boy or is it a girl? Mm. So from the moment intersex people are born, we are tried. they try to stereotype us into one of the two baskets, even though intersex people are naturally um, a combination biologically of, of both. Mm. And so we are assigned to sex, unlike trans people, I have to say this, trans people... Their sex is assumed, but with intersex people we're assigned. Doctors Mm. actually make a decision about sex of rearing in most of our, in many of our cases. Um, And then, which is fine, and most of us, we should be raised as either a boy or a girl, depending on our particular intersex variation. But unfortunately, what they also do is they then go to surgically and hormonally reinforce that gender assignment. Right. Without without our consent. So even even today, little girls at the Royal Children's Hospital, our little baby girls, are having their clitorises reduced in size without their consent and for no medical reason just because doctors think that their clitoris is too big. Wow. Um, it's it's disgusting. It is absolutely vile. Mm. Um, it is wrong. It is an affront to our, our human rights. And it is completely... It's interesting, but it's completely different to a trans person in that if it's a transgender person, transgender child, they need to wait until you know they can provide consent before they can before mm. they can have any hormone treatment or or surgeries or anything, and have to be of a certain age. Whereas with intersex people, it's just done to us without our consent from a very very young age, um, and the courts and the government are doing
2: nothing about it. Mm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's it's interesting given the question because it's like it shows that our, you know, in the, in our society that our, dea- our ideas about um, gender binaries are so strong that we're willing to, um, you know, potentially put very young children through incredible trauma just to be able to fit them into a box. <laughs> And it's not just the gender
7: binary or the sex binary; it's also um, heteronormativity. The doctors doctors assume that little girls are going to be heterosexual girls, and if they don't have an adequate vagina for penile penetration, Mm. they will create one for them. Mm. Um, So it's it's pretty it's pretty disgusting. And and even the idea of having a a larger than usual clitoris. I mean. uh, that, to me, mm. that can't be a bad thing. Yeah.
5: So, <laughs> I so, agree. You know,
7: heter- <laughs> heterosexual little girls, no, 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 no. they, look, they can possibly want to enjoy sex. Um, we'll have a large us, so let's just reduce that size and you know, have them on their merry way. Mm. It's
2: disgusting. Yeah, that is really disgusting. Um, I also wanted to know what kind of what kind of legal and bureaucratic issues do intersex people face in Australia? Um, you know, for example, are there any issues associated with um, birth registration documents or passports? <coughs> um, usually not. <coughs> Excuse me, uh, usually there
7: aren't too many like that. Um, for some of us, we, there may be an issue in, in, with birth certificates in terms of correcting them.
8: Mm. But
7: we go through a collection process, unlike the trans process. So trans people change or amend their birth certificates. Whereas with us, we go through a correction process, so basically a decision is made at birth about what sex we been raised, and if that's wrong, then it goes through a correction right and um, we can access that in all states and territories in the, in australia mm, that's and good to that's know. I thought maybe
2: the, the, you'd face difficulties around around yeah. changing that no the only question
7: it's, it's okay the only thing is Departments of this disparages tend not to realise that it goes through a correction process, and assume that we are transgender. Um, So it just we really need the intersex person to know that that's the process to go through. So Mm. if they contact OII or the AIS support group, um, obviously we'll help. We'll assist them and advise them of the process. But yeah, it's it's fairly straightforward uh, going through a correction process rather than a sex change process because the the other the trans process—you need to prove your divorce. You have to have surgery and all that sort of thing. Whereas we don't have to.
2: Right, um, and and do you think that Australia's um, healthcare system adequately meets the needs of the intersex community? Um.
7: Well, obviously, well, I have to say no. But given that they're providing yes, free services, uh, but unnecessary services to children um, by you know reducing the size of their clitoris, removing healthy organs. Mm. Healthy gonads, doing normalising surgeries. It's, I mean, it's it's a pretty awful, um, vile intrusion into a person's human rights, and that's all based on the on Australia's healthcare system. Mm. Mm.
5: Um,
2: And also, I guess because you know the the postal plebiscite, the results are coming out tomorrow, as we all know. Um, And I'm wondering what what the results of that mean for intersex people in Australia.
7: Yeah. Well most
2: excuse my cough, Most intersex
7: people are um heterosexual. I don't hold that against them. I'm not. Um, so for some of us it's it'll be a big deal. Um, although the same sex plebiscite was based on same sex uh marriages and not all marriages are same sex, mm-hmm. um although you know, they're not currently covered. Because the, the current marriage act when Howard changed it, changed it um to be specifically between a man and a woman, so for intersex people, we're not sure what that means. Mm. Um, In my case, as an example, I was married uh, to my wife in New Zealand because we can get married in New Zealand, Um, and hopefully when the legislation, when the bill comes up and the legislation is passed, here in Australia, then it won't just be about same-sex couples, but it'll be about genuine marriage equality
2: yeah definitely um and just finally if people want to find out more about um Intersex International Australia um and the work of this organisation which you are the co-executive director of <laughs> how how can they find out more or get involved
7: yeah if they just go like you look at look us up on in facebook or go to our website at oii.org.au
2: great all right um Tony, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today even though you've got (laughs) cold and sorry to hear that and we really hope you feel better soon and appreciate you taking the time.
7: Not a problem. Thank you very
2: much, Ruby. Thanks. That was Tony Briffer, who is a former mayor, deputy mayor and councillor of the City of Hobsons Bay and co-executive director of Intersex International Australia speaking to us about um, the intersex community here. Um,
0: And, yeah, what are we going to next? Um, after a few community announcements, we'll hopefully, I think maybe, um, not maybe, actually we're going to do, be listening to an interview, um, uh, uh, So, uh, what am I saying, George is going to be doing an interview with?
2: Jess Jones from the Star Observer, that's yes. going to be a great interview, so looking forward to that. Celebrate
3: International Day of People with Disability at the Victorian Disability Sport and Recreation Festival, featuring over 30 exhibitors and three activity zones. Come and try different modified sports and watch a disabled water skiing demonstration. This is a free, accessible, family-friendly event. Friday, the first of December, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Crown Riverwalk. For more information, visit dsr.org.au a 3CR supporter.
0: Accent to women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um,
3: cultural milieu, that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives.
4: Accent to women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How the
9: can people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation, where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there such conflict every single day of their lives. Accent to Women,
3: a show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Every Monday from 11am on Community Radio 3CR. Able-bodied
7: Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board
9: are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job Without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community
7: infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment, I'm not getting a fair go, and I don't like it, and I'm
8: saying so.
3: You're listening to 3CR, 8.55 on the AM dive. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM on your dial. We are your weekly dose of intersectional feminism, and we just heard an interview from Ruby with Tony Bruffer from the... Um, oh, I have lost it. He is the co-executive director of Intersex International Australia, and it was fascinating. It'll be up on our page in case you missed it. Um, highly recommend a listen. We're just going to go to a song now, We are really loving female MCs in here at the moment. I think this is really the year in which, particularly, black female MCs have just boomed. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know, I feel like there is amazing art everywhere created by these powerful women. Absolutely. It's been the year of incredible albums. So we're going to continue that theme. And I'm going to play a song now by Rhapsody, who is an American hip hop artist, MC, and is just really incredible. There's a bit of a language warning for this one again, but um, I think you'll get the passion in her voice. And in true Tuesday Breakfast style, it is called Sassy. Enjoy. And that was the incredible Rhapsody with Sassy. And
9: Guatemala. I'm Black Betty and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3pm. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia and we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2.
3: From every corner of the land, arise. Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's
4: perspectives on current affairs.
8: rights militantly, never
4: you fear! Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security.
9: We do not accept
4: the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. And we're
1: back at Tuesday Morning Breakfast. We've got Jess... uh, online with us today, who's from the Star Observer, and joins us from Brisbane. Hey Jess, how are you going? I'm
6: great, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, thanks. You must be pretty tired. There's a bit of a time difference, hey, with Frizzy.
6: It's so early.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for making the effort to speak with us today.
6: Uh, My pleasure.
1: Thank you for having me. Would you mind just speaking up a little bit? It's a bit tricky to hear. Oh, how's
6: that?
1: Yeah, that's good, thank you. So we are really interested in what happened recently on Twitter regarding Twitter hashtags, and you recently wrote an article on the Star Observer on this issue. Can you talk us through what happened?
6: Yeah, it was a little bit of a debacle. Uh, Twitter was under fire last week for blocking searches of the hashtags lesbian and bisexual. Uh, Some people reported that the gay and trans hashtags were blocked as well, but that seemed to vary depending on where people were right so yeah folks were saying that the hashtags seem to be blocked as part of a crackdown on porn, mm-hmm. uh, and with suggesting overtly sexual hashtags like threesome, squirting as being related to those things when people were trying to search for lesbian or bisexual content
1: mm-hmm. but clearly it's targeting like it's not just any kind of sexual content it's it seems direct at like the queer community It
6: certainly seemed to be, and people who were just trying to see or post LGBTI content were absolutely furious, and saying their sexuality is an identity and not a porn category or a fetish.
1: Mm. Yeah, and in your article you mention issues around sexualisation and erasure of queer identities.
6: Yeah, some uh, bisexual folks in particular have called it a literal erasure of, of bisexual people.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like it. And did Twitter... Oh, sorry. What? Oh, sorry, go on. No, oh, I was going to say, did, did, Twitter, um, did Twitter like issue an apology or did they respond?
6: They did. They fixed it pretty much right away. And they put out a statement blaming it on a problem with a new algorithm. Mm. And everybody was quite suspicious that the, the new algorithm business was related to trying to get rid of porn content and sort of conflating LGBTI content with
1: porn. Hmm. Yeah, it really definitely seems some- suspicious.
6: Yeah, really similar to something that happened with YouTube a while ago, where their uh, family-friendly setting was blocking all LGBTI content. Wow. And the same thing happened. Uh, YouTube apologized for it, uh, got rid of that feature so that you can access non-sexual LGBTI content on the family-friendly setting now. Yeah. But it's sort of thing that shouldn't happen with queer stuff being conflated with, Mm. Overtly sexual content and pornography.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so that so it ha- has happened with YouTube. Does it happen with other social media platforms as well?
6: Um, I don't know about other media pla- platforms, to be quite honest. Um, certainly, YouTube and, and Twitter have both come under fire for it quite recently. So, um, do you... I do I? At other places are. Um, are possibly using similar sorts of algorithms to try and keep um, explicit content out, and it may come up again.
1: Mm. And do you think that it says something about where we are as a society in regard to perceptions of queer lives?
6: Uh, definitely. I think uh, for gay and bisexual women in particular, uh, their sexualities are, so, or their, their identities, are so sexualized by mm. society, by men in particular, that it's really hard to talk about having an identity as a queer woman without people going straight to those kind of really explicit connotations, thinking about pornography and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm.
2: Hi, Jess, it's, it's Ruby here. Um, I just I wanted to ask because I, I actually wrote a thesis last year on. Um, online harassment which is like really common and I just kind of wanted to know um, Mm. this is obviously on a slightly separate note but just some of the experiences of of queer people with online harassment I don't know if you've had personal experiences or friends Um, yeah what you feel about that and
6: oh absolutely for for women and for trans people uh, being harassed online is just part Mm. of the course really Mm. worse than in real I think
2: did you say, sorry, worse um, than in real life?
6: Or more prevalent, at least, than in real life hmm. is, is my feeling. Possibly not worse in terms of intensity or, or consequences.
0: And I think because online, sorry, it's Ayaan here. There's <laughs> a few presenters um, talking to you all at once. I hope we don't confuse you. But I, I, but I was thinking maybe because online it's that anonymity where um, where offline, you'd have to say all these horrible things to the person face to face Mm. and I guess people aren't strong enough or they're, um, I guess the online creates that wall where they can say whatever you want uh, they can say whatever they want and know that you don't know who they are and yeah could could that be one of the reasons why it's more prevalent online?
6: I think so, definitely Um, you know, I think almost Almost everybody, you know, trans trans people and and women have have received, you know, hundreds of unsolicited dick photos from men Mm. online, but it's it's much rarer for someone to just walk up to you and take their dick out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, People are very brave online. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And and, and, and I guess um, uh, marginalized communities as well are um, easy picking sometimes because they're seen as, I guess not worthy of respect or they're seen as, you know, caricatures as a black woman I, I, and someone who's on social media a lot, I get a lot of um, flack for even speaking out. It's the whole visibility thing. How dare you be visible?
2: Mm, absolutely. Um, and I'm, I'm also just wondering what, you know, what advice would you provide to um these social media platforms so that we don't see this kind of, you know, so we don't see um, queer and marginalised people being harassed and so, you know, we don't see the banning of these kinds of hashtags?
6: I think the answer to any sorts of issues that affect marginalised communities is to speak to people in the communities themselves. Mm. Uh, You know, it would have been really good perhaps instead of, for them to just go ahead and block those hashtags, to maybe have a chat to somebody mm-hmm. who's a lesbian or a bisexual person mm-hmm. about the best way to block porn that's tagged with lesbian without blocking all uh, LGBTI-related content. Yes.
2: <clears throat> yeah. No, that's great advice. I think that you know, the, I think social media platforms need to think a lot more, and everybody thinks needs to think a lot more about um, including a diversity of voices. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, I guess a lot of things are, are done to us or on our behalf without consulting us as LGBTI people and and people in other marginalised
1: communities. And
6: that that kind of community consultation is it's the answer to a lot of things.
1: Mm-hmm. It's so important. Mm. It's been a pleasure to have you on Tuesday, Brecky. Thank you so much for joining us, Jess.
6: Thanks for having me, folks. Yeah, yes. yeah.
0: Thanks for that. And I hope those people, you know, get their due. Um, uh what's what's the word? Come up in. Yeah, coming up. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for
2: that. Bye. Uh that was Jess Jones, uh, who's a journalist at the Star Observer who was speaking to us about um the recent hashtags um that Twitter had banned.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on your eight fifty five a m dial you're listening um uh to myself ayan Ruby george Lauren, and hope who isn't with us but she's she's always um uh i guess contributing amazing content and we do appreciate that that's why we always give a shout out to her. Um, now we're going to hear a song by uh, Lauren Hill from her album, the popular album, and it's a Grammy winning album called The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, and the song is called Lost Ones. Yo, 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 yo. What's a bomb, bomb? Dum dum, you just lost one. Oh, I love, 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 love. Um, that was uh, Lauren Hill with You Have Lost One. And it is that time of the morning when we um, discuss all that's happening in the news and also all that's happening but isn't um, being broadcast.
8: So um.
3: Welcome back to Tuesday Morning Breakfast on 3CR. And for alternative news today, we are going to be looking at women in prison and more broadly the way that Australia puts people in detention when they don't want them around. Um, so I guess firstly we've all done a bit of reading and a bit of chatting about incarceration rates in Australia generally and in particular women in incarceration mm. and. I think I would just I couldn't believe some of the statistics um that in particular in Queensland um that people the corrective services people have found um about women in prison and I I might just open with some stats to mm. kind of colour the yeah, conversation. That would be nice. Um so um Women in prison in Australia are overwhelmingly charged with and convicted of minor non-violent offences, and these are so minor that the average duration of the stay for women in prison during 2015 was 4.96 weeks, so just over a month, mm. which that just blew my mind, um, and 94% of women in prison generally during that period served 12 months or less as a sentence, Um, and these are almost always non-violent crimes and usually women who do commit violent crimes commit them against violent partners Mm. so perhaps in self defense or in a situation where that's their only option so we we aren't talking about hardened violent criminals here Mm. Um, in that situation we're talking about desperate traumatized women so that's a really important thing that um, it doesn't seem like is being taken into consideration and I did also just want to note another statistic that's really important, and that is that at least 85% of women prisoners in Australia are victims of abuse, though there's a lot of research around, done by organisations that aren't corrective services or associated with the government, that um, which women might feel a bit more comfortable talking to, and they suggest that figures could be up to 98% of women in prison have been victims of abuse. Mm, wow. Um, and just really to to bring home um, as well because in Australia unfortunately Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander women are disproportionately affected by abuse and family violence um, they are also the fastest growing cohort of prisoners in Australia and they make up 33% of all women in our prisons despite being a really small percentage of overall Australian population so that's really it's really horrific and I think it really shows that that the Australian prison system um, has a pretty significant racism problem. Mm. Yeah. Um, what did you guys think about all of the all of this stuff?
1: Yeah, some of those stats are just really staggering. Mm. And, and there was another one that um, I found interesting that women's imprisonment rates have increased by fifty percent in the last ten years. So this is actually mm. rising on the whole. Yeah. Do we
2: do we know why that is? Why like that seems insane. Is it changes in the way that people are sentenced that's causing that? Yeah. Or? So
3: a lot of mandatory sentencing is a thing now in a lot mm. of states, which is like, so there are sort of two ways you can be sentenced, and one is mandatory sentencing, whereby if you say you you're charged with robbery and you're convicted of robbery, mandatory twelve month sentence. Boom. Right, But in a non-mandatory sentencing situation, the judge can take into account that perhaps you were, um, I'm not sure, perhaps you were homeless and perhaps you um, were having some other life situations happening at the time that they need to take into account in your sentencing. And perhaps it would make more sense for you to be put into some kind of rehabilitation or rehabilitative program as opposed to a custodial sentence, mm. and then they don't have to go along with that 12 months. So, And,
2: and what's the rationale behind... Sorry, I'm asking no, no, um, lawyer <laughs> Lauren
3: here. <laughs> this is my favourite topic.
2: <laughs> what's the rationale behind mandatory sentencing? Because it feels like that's essentially just saying, um, you know, it, it's saying we're not going to take context into consideration at all.
3: Yeah, totally. I mean... I'm sure I'm sure that people have seen um particularly in Victoria I guess which is where we live and we see all of the news really regularly but this tough on crime rhetoric that Australia has really fallen under the spell of in the last decade or so is really undoing a lot of there were so many other options outside of incarceration that had been and and they, they still exist but now this tough on crime idea of three strikes three strikes and you're in jail even if you're a youth offender and all of these sorts of mm. ideas um and and it doesn't work like there are I'll just go back to some New South Wales Bureau of Crime Statistics here but um you know a 10 percent rise in the prison population has been found to have a 1.1 reduction 1.1 percent reduction in property crime for example but between 2001 and 2015 property crime rates dropped 66 percent so it's the incarceration rate growing is not actually having that much effect on the crime rate reducing. The crime rate is reducing on its own. And, in fact, there is so much literature and research out there to show that that locking people up... What's the word that you
1: used before, George? Oh, um, that it's criminal genic, yeah. which, Gen- which means it causes yeah. criminal behaviour. So yeah. putting people in prison causes mm. more criminal yeah. behaviour when people get out and there's higher rates of recidivism. Mm. And thinking about like, what are the effects, if it's not reducing crime or it's mm. not having that big an impact on, on that issue, then what is the impact? And it seems to be from this report that we've, we were reading um, that was a panel um, on the current issues in sentencing. That it was talking about the, the fact that it's people, it, it perpetuates inequality. So if you are homeless or you are experiencing any other um, social or economic issues, mm. you're more likely to be to end up in jail, I and mean, then you're more likely to to continue in this vicious cycle. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. And there was an article I was looking at in, um, uh, in the conversation. An article is called "Why Are So Many Indigenous Kids in, de- in Detention in the Northern Territory?" In the first place. So I'll just start off by um giving out some facts on the situation on the ground. So indigenous children make up fifty four percent of children in juvenile detention centers. So fifty four percent. Um indigenous children are twenty six times more likely than non indigenous children to be in detention. Oh my god. Ninety seven percent of children in NT juvenile detention centers are in indigenous. Okay. So um, working from that kind of um, framework um, uh, Thalia Anthony who wrote this article and the article is called why this as I said why are so many indigenous kids in detention. Um, so she looks at the impact that the Northern Territory intervention had on youth incarceration. So, just a quick summary of the anti intervention, although it should be called invasion, because that's what it was. The Little Children Are Sacred report um, came out, I think, in around 2007. So, that report alleged that there was a widespread sexual abuse and neglect in Northern Territory communities. Um, the recommendations, which I'll briefly list at the end, were largely ignored. So, instead, the government sent in the police to forcibly remove the children from their families. And to do that, they um, suspended the Racial Discrimination Act because that allowed governments to racially target these communities. Um, so what's happened since the Northern Territory intervention? There's been an increase in the criminalisation of Indigenous young people, 100% increase in traffic and vehicle convictions for young people, such as driving unregistered vehicles or driving without a licence. And now we've seen also police stations propping up in Indigenous communities. Um, And uh, Thalia also lists a second contributing factor, which is the changes to the Bail Act. Um, Some of these changes to the Bail Act, including allowing police officers to use electronic monitoring um, uh, gadgets as bail requirements, and also requiring the accused to wear um, a monitoring device and comply with Um, reasonable directions from a police officer so imagine young people under the age of 15 being told to basically um, uh, being forced to wear these little gadgets and Mm -hmm. as you know children are children and they're and um, to to put that thing on them and there's also restrictions as to where they can go so telling kids where they can't go and having young children lug around this thing on their feet and basically being surveillance, that you can just imagine all the um, mental stress that that can put on the children. So what happens when you expose children to the criminal justice system? So evidence shows that prisons are, as you said, George, more likely to contribute to recidivism. Um, so young people, instead of um, getting young people to uh, participate in, like, diversionary um, uh, uh, alternatives, what the government does is they lock the children up, um, and also some solutions that the article lists. So there, so she lists legal and non-legal. So the non-legal solutions are to provide support and programs for young people in um, improving the prospects um, of their lives. I guess um, this also includes therapeutic and healing programs relating to trauma, mental health, and disability issues, and also enacting the little children I second report i 'm um, just going to list two of the um, recommendations um, one was um, uh, to that if police are going to work with community services um, that they need to work alongside community services and it's important for there to so it's important that trust is created between the police and um, the community as well so the police work in consultation with the community as opposed to um, doing things for them or doing things to them as Jess was saying it's all about listening to the community listening to what their needs are and the second thing is also um, uh, communities Aboriginal communities need to be empowered to make decisions for themselves so give them all the support and resources that they need. But um, at the end of the day, it should be the indigenous community who decides um, or who implements these, um, uh, I guess, these recommendations in a way that's culturally sensitive. So, yeah, so that's what's happening in Northern Territories. We'll put a a link up and you can read the article in its um, uh, fullness, I guess. Um, And up next, we'll be speaking to Miranda from Inside Out. And right now on the phone, we have Miranda from Inside Out. Inside Out is an Australian-wide grassroots group aiming to build a network for LGBTQ plus people, both inside and outside of prisons. Thank you for joining us, Miranda. Thanks for joining us, Miranda. Miranda. Thank you. Sorry about that. That was a little, um, a glitch on my part. S- okay. Uh, so before, uh, we discuss who Inside Out Solidarity Network are, can you, can you, uh, tell us what the major issues are facing the LGBTQI plus people in the prison system? Sure. So, I guess, um, yeah, just firstly to,
9: Uh, let listeners know that, um, for me personally, I haven't experienced being in prison. So I guess to answer this question, just reflecting on a lot of the issues that people have talked to us about when they write us letters or they write into the newsletter. Mm. um, A lot of people have sort of talked about This feeling of isolation, being in prison and not really having access to the queer community or other people that they know who are openly queer, who they can talk to about those experiences and things like that. And I think things that us on the outside sort of take for granted as being an important you know, support network of having other LGBTIQ people to kind of talk to about some of the issues that, you know, we might face around homophobia or things like that. So I think, you know, that isolation has been, you know, something that people have experienced a lot. Um, Also, a lot of homophobia and transphobia, Mm. so... From other inmates and then also from prison guards as well. And a lot of t- times people have written to us about um, instances of physical violence being attacked by guards where they've been called homophobic names and things like that. Um, people have experienced sexual assault in prison. Um, and also the whole system itself, I mean, is really a gendered system where there's male prisons, female prisons, and you know, a lot of uh, places don't have very good policies around how people who are trans fit into that system and a lot of trans women are placed in male prisons where they Mm. um, are very vulnerable to sexual assault and sexual harassment and have written to us about those experiences Um, as well as just a lack of access to medical support, hormones, even being able to change your name uh, legally is really hard so a lot of these um, things are you know, ways that the system is making it really difficult for people Mm. to express their gender identity. Um, And another issue that people have often talked about is the fact that if there is any, you know, if they are in a relationship with someone, If they're showing any physical affection, you know, like even holding hands or anything like that, then that is something that's really looked down upon by guards. People have been punished for that. So, you know, in a letter we got recently, someone was talking about how there's this, you know, crazy kind of um, thing where they can be punished more severely for holding hands or showing some kind of loving affection to their partner, than someone will be punished for being physically violent or sexually violent so you know mm. there's a complete double standard in how they're treated because yes. of that homophobia from from the guards in the whole system
0: wow to be afraid of affection that's that's really deplorable and um, where does inside out solidarity come in Yeah, well, as you said in your introduction, we are a grassroots
9: group and our aim is to sort of build community across the prison walls. So um, we've been going for about a year and a half now and the main uh, project of Inside Out is to create a newsletter. So once every three months we put out a newsletter um, that has contributions from our members on the inside. So mm. people can send in artwork letters, poetry, um, anything they want to put in really and then we uh, put that all together and then we send it out to the people inside. So we have about 70 people um, on our mailing list on the inside um, and a lot of those people contribute to our, to the newsletter regularly. Uh, some people just sort of get the newsletter and read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the aim of this is to sort of um, break down that isolation so that people can, you know, read each other's stories and also have their voice heard as well. Um, And so that's sort of the main focus of Inside Out. We hope to sort of build on that and have other projects in the future. We are looking into having a a pen power system so people on the inside can match up with someone on the outside to sort of write to regularly um, and also... Mm looking at other projects down the line. But we really want that to be directed by the people inside. So we've been talking to people who are inside about um, an idea they had to have a sort of readership committee uh, made up of inside people who would sort of make decisions and help to lead um, some of those projects. So we're sort of working with them at the moment to to
0: get that going. Mm, yeah, and fingers crossed that um, these programs do work out. And also with the... Um with the newsletter, can people who don't identify um, uh, uh, under the umbrella uh, be able to um, sign up to to read the letters?
9: Yeah, definitely. So we sort of have an open policy um, because we think you know anyone who's supportive. Um, allies friends of of LGBTI people, or even people who may not want to identify under that umbrella because they 're not necessarily out in prison, mm. so all of those people we don 't ask people to what their identity is or any questions like that, so mm. it 's totally up to anyone um, they can they can sign up, get the newsletter, contribute to the newsletter, and we do have some people who you know identify as straight who have written in um, one of our regular contributors, um, a friend of his, he's been showing the newsletter around to everyone inside that he knows and one of his friends who sort of wrote in and said, you know, I'm straight but I really support this and and sort of talked about that and and lots of people gave positive feedback and they said it was really good to hear that that story as well and and to hear that there is support from from other people in the community as well um, that don't necessarily identify under the LGBTIQ umbrella. So, Mm. yeah, it's definitely open to anyone yeah.
0: inside who's interested. That's good to hear and we'll put out the, inf- the details about the um, how to go about sending mail and so on on our Facebook page and also on the 3CR website and so if, if once, okay so if someone's in prison how do they go about signing up? Um, are there re- restrictions put on people on the inside? Um, yeah so there are some restrictions and I guess
9: we are very careful in terms of what um, you know, content we can put in the newsletter mm. um, and and things like that. Um, the I guess the main difficult restriction that's in place at the moment is that for people in Queensland, so unfortunately, people in prison in Queensland are not allowed to have anything um, published. So we can't actually put anything in that they've written, but they can still sign up and read it. So we do have a few people in Queensland who write to us regularly, but they're not, a- they're not able to actually put something into the newsletter. But in all other states, people mm-hmm. are able to, to sign up. And I guess the way people usually find out about us is often by word of mouth. So people share it around or get moved to other prisons and, and, and they sort of talk about it and things like that. So we've kind of you know, quickly grown from a very small amount of people inside at the beginning, uh, about a year and a half ago, to now having 70 people, and we're getting new people sign up all the time. Um, and so, yeah, once people kind of find out about us, they can join the mailing list, and then at any time they can um, send us in a contribution. And a lot of people sort of contribute regularly, so they might write something for every newsletter. We've got one person that always sends in a comic strip, um We've got a sort of dear inside out column where people can like write, if they're like seeking advice on something they can mm. write in and we can either kind of research that for them or someone else on the inside might kind of know the answer. So people have written about, you know, different policies that might exist around trans prisoners in different states, Mm. or some people have been trying to set up an LGBTIQ support group in their prison and they've been asking for advice if anyone else has done that and things like that. So, yeah, people can sort of share different ideas or, you know... Or if they need it, we can sort of Mm. find resources on the outside, you know, in terms of advice from lawyers or things like that for
0: that as well. Yeah, perfect. And because we're running short on on time, we do apologise. Can you um, just briefly um, maybe tell us the type of support, the type of information regarding support that the newsletter shares and also why it's important to um, assist prisoners, amplify their voices?
9: Yeah, well, I think, as I said before, um, you know, the isolation is a really big thing that people have talked about. And I think one of the main um, supports that the Inside Out newsletter provides and the feedback we get from people about it is that it's really powerful and validating to hear the stories of other people who are inside Mm. who are queer and trans as well. So being able to share their experiences and, re- and have those read by other people and also to hear other people's stories, I think has been an amazing support for people and to build that sense of community um, so that they know that they're not alone in those experiences as well. Um, as I said, we can also provide other resources, support, information and things that people request. Sometimes we put in resource lists of community organisations that they might be able mm. to get in contact with as well for extra support. Um, Yeah, and I guess in terms of why it's important, as I said before, that isolation, we think it's really important to break that down. And I guess from our perspective, we, you know, we are a prison abolitionist group. We don't believe that prison should exist. And Mm. we think that, you know, one way that we can go about challenging them you know, right now, is to break down the isolation. I think prison is designed to lock people away from the community, to make them forgotten about, and by amplifying their voices, by having this newsletter that people can read, we're saying, you know, you're not forgotten, you're still a part of the community, and making sure that both people on the outside and the inside are connected with each other, and we can try to
0: keep that sense of community going. Perfect, and that's a good note to end on. Thank you so much for your time, Miranda. Thank you. And that was Miranda from Inside Out talking about um, the program, the newsletter program, and how that newsletter um, promotes issues that are facing the LGBTQI community and um, also why it's important to amplify, amplify the voices of prisoners. And, yeah, so thanks for joining us once again. Um, anything else that we, we've forgotten? I know that was a jam-packed show. Mm, no. Have Just a fabulous
2: day.
3: Yeah, yeah. enjoy yourself. the sun. Yeah. The be be careful. It's hot out there.
2: Yes, and tune in to Wednesday Breakfast tomorrow for some more content, content and obviously join us next Tuesday. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank, you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
3: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.